On this week's Compete Everyday podcast, we're talking with Special Forces and Major League Baseball mental performance coach CC Craft. <laughs> All right, Competitor Nation, and Jake here, your Chief Encouragement Officer, and we are back with this brand new episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast featuring CeCe Kraft. CeCe was the first mental performance coach in baseball. She has spent years working with the Army Special Forces, and we get into today talking about the All-Terrain Project, this really cool experience that her and her team have put together out at Fort Bragg in North Carolina and how they're using it as a learning ground for special forces, for major league baseball players, for minor league baseball players, and honestly, just everyday people that want to build their self-awareness, their mental toughness, their mental game. So in today's episode, we dive into CC's background, how she got to this position, and what the experience is like at the All-Terrain Project. Why we need to force ourselves out of our comfort zone, why we need to force ourselves to build our self-awareness, to put ourselves in those scary anxious, crazy type situations in order to further push ourselves to figure out how much closer we can get to our true potential. It's a really cool conversation and I think you're going to get so much out of it in terms of how you should get out of your comfort zone, challenge yourself on a consistent basis. Before we dive into the show, I want to remind you, if you want to start every single morning with some fire, with some motivation, with a renewed focus on showing up and competing every day, there are two ways you can get going. The first is to text the word podcast. Text the word podcast to 972-945-9113. That's 972-945-9113. If you follow us on Instagram, there is a link in the bio as well. But every morning we start Competitor's Day with a fresh message, a piece of motivation, a lesson, a reminder, something so that when your feet hit the floor, you get up, you get after it, and you're reminded to do and pursue the meaningful, to pursue your victory, to show up to compete today, to not settle To not blend in with everyone else that's okay being average, that's okay getting to the end of their life and looking back with regrets and what ifs and wish I'd gone after it because you don't want that for yourself. You don't want that for your future. You want to show up and maximize everything you've got in the pursuit of everything you desire and everyone you love. And so to start your day with some fire, there are two ways. The first, as I shared, text the word podcast to 972-945-9113. And then additionally, if you are much more of a want to sit down, want to have kind of a daily lesson in your inbox, go to thedailycompetitor.com. Sign up. It's free every morning on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, as well as the opportunity to add Tuesday and Thursday. You will get a morning email with just a message on what it means to compete, on what it means to build your mental toughness, your self-awareness, your leadership influence. And so both of those are free to get signed up and started. The first text podcast to 972-945-9113. And the second is to go to thedailycompetitor.com, get signed up, and start looking for what's coming in your inbox. And as you know, if you're already signed up and active at The Daily Competitor, if you respond to that first email, you can bet I'm going to respond back with a challenge and a question to get you going on the right path. So consider it just kind of an intro-free coaching start to help you become better equipped, better encouraged, and better motivated to go pursue your goals. As always, to get in touch with me or the show, drop us a note to podcast at competeeveryday.com. 
Now let's get rocking and rolling, Competitor Nation, talking self-awareness, dealing with discomfort, and pushing your limits with CC Craft. CC, welcome to the Compete Everyday Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be on with you. Yeah, so I'm one incredibly intrigued by your background, especially as I kind of looked at everything and coming into it because you work in a number of different arenas that performance and high level performance is needed and required to be successful, not only in sports, but outside of sports as well, as I'll let you share a little bit. Before we dive in, can you give a snapshot of what you do today? Uh, And then I'm fascinated for a a little bit about your journey from college athlete really into this realm. Yeah. So I work for a company called F3A and without making it too complicated, um, I work with the army special operations community. Um, and so I work on Fort Bragg in North Carolina and every day I support our soldiers and a staff of 14 mental performance coaches on supporting our soldiers uh, with their mental training, um, and mental performance. So, I'm just curious before we dive into a little bit of your background, is that common in terms of that large of a mental performance team working specifically within the military? Has that been something that's started to be developed over the last 10 years or so? Because I feel, you know, 20, 30 years ago, even in sports, like mental performance wasn't something really talked about outside of a few circles. Um, And especially I would say on the military side that there's a huge need just like in sports. Is that more of a newer thing? No doubt. In 2008, when I did my first tour or start through the military, um, there were, I think, maybe 30 or 40 of us. Okay. I think now there's near 300. Um, and so the Army is actually the largest hiring body for people within the field of sports psychology um, as a single entity. And so there are some offices that have 14 or 15 mental performance coaches all working together. It's an absolutely amazing experience. I think it certainly makes you better. Um And it's one of the things I always look for is that opportunity to work with a team of people that are like-minded and in our field. I think we get to get better by doing so. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I find that fascinating. Uh, Having spoken in the past few years at a couple of different bases, uh, that and and this whole thing and world that I've learned about researching for this episode was kind of an eye-opening for me of like, I didn't realize, like, I understand 100% why it's there but didn't realize it actually existed there as well. So I'm curious, how did you go from athlete to wanting to be a mental performance coach? Was there something when you're, when you were playing, because I know you were successful playing that you just like stuck out from a mental side that you're like, why can't I figure this out? Or was it seeing it in other people that just things weren't clicking the way it did for you and you wanted to figure out ways to help them? Yeah, I was a center defender. And so I think that there's a lot of mental game that goes into that for soccer. Um, And I was not particularly fast. (laughs) So I think I had to rely on um, good ball skills and then and then definitely my mental game. Um, I'm also dyslexic. And so I think um, I've known for a long time that that I didn't always do things the way that others did. And I couldn't always do things that others could. And I had to find my way with it. And so I think um, the mental game, finding your own way to do it, um, knowing yourself, knowing your strengths and weaknesses has always been a, a big part of my upbringing. Um, and I would uh, say the other big piece is I captained the soccer team my senior year. And I really realized I didn't know much about peer leadership. Like, I, I don't think I actually did a great job. And so uh, it made me want to go learn more about leadership and teams and how it works. Um, 
but just a lot of appreciation for how much of what happens on a soccer field, what happens off a soccer field, what happens growing up, what happens working through challenges is mental and just so much of life is mental. Yeah. And, and so that first step for you was actually overseas, which I, I found fascinating. What, what inspired that trip across the pond uh, for the development in this leadership and mental performance space? Yeah, I was, I was really interested in sports psychology. I was lucky that I had an undergrad professor that exposed me uh, to ASP, the Association for Applied Sports Psych. Um, and so I presented there after my senior year in college uh, on my senior thesis, and I got exposed to a lot of the grad school programs. And at the time, um, lessons learned from sport to take outside of sport, like sportsmanship was a really big focus in the field of sports psychology. And I will be honest, I had just finished playing soccer and I still was really excited about how to get faster and better and stronger. Um, and the British programs were really sports science programs. And, and so they were focused on that physiologically, motor control, psychology, um, they were really embedded with their Olympic programs and different pieces like that, similar to the Aussies. And so um, I was really drawn to that. And, and I got to be part of a phenomenal department at Bangor and study underneath Lou Hardy and Nicola Callow and these just amazing people. But they, it was a very scientific approach. And I, I think that drew me in initially. And, and so then you, you come back and you've obviously spent time in, in, with the military, but as well in baseball. And yeah the with the Cleveland Indians and what I always find fascinating uh really looking at those two baseball and, and military is it's a lot of training it's a lot of preparation for like one game baseball obviously there's 162 but it's really you're preparing for a single at bat whereas a lot of the military you're preparing for a mission talk about how some of those sports and just maybe the experience in one helped you within that other realm as well wow yeah I, I mean so I was with the special ops community from 2008 to 2014. And, you know, soldiers are just an amazing population and that they have a very serious job to do. And, and they take that seriously. So they don't like their time wasted and they're going to give very candid feedback as to whether what you're trying to work with them on is working. Um, and so I, I would definitely say, you know, the soldiers that I got to work in and around made me the practitioner that I am today. Um, I still have a lot of work to do, but, but certainly taught me a lot of lessons. And so I just, I loved that experience and it was absolutely amazing. Um, and it taught me that sports psychology, what you learned in grad school, the principles still apply, but how you teach it is incredibly important. Or, or maybe the better phrase is how you coach it, um, to stop teaching it, to stop making it academic and start coaching. Um, so I think that helped me a lot coming into baseball. I was, got to be with Cleveland from 2014 to um, 2019. Um, the years are, are slipping on me right now with, with having had a COVID year. Um, I was about to say, a COVID year indeed. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I think it helped me come in and coach a lot better and, and understand that. And so uh, Cleveland's just an absolutely amazing organization. Um, got to work again with some amazing mental performance coaches like Brian Miles. Um, and, and some amazing coaching staff. And so then I think I, I learned even more about coaching from them. The major league staff with the Indians was truly amazing. So uh, lots of lessons learned. I'm curious about it because leadership styles are very different across the board. And, and I would just on the outside, stereotypically, you think military, it's do as I say, 
do it this way. This is how it's always done. Whereas when you look at baseball, a lot of times from the outside, you think managers and they're setting lineups and they're making adjustments, but you think locker room led as much as everything else versus military, you think traditional org chart. Would that be accurate? And, and talk to me how those two types of leaderships, despite looking different, probably still behave very similarly. Yeah, I mean, I think in a traditional military sense, you have a very hierarchical power structure. One of the things that I think is really unique to special operations and maybe Green Berets or special forces in particular is they're much more decentralized, right? And so you'll you'll hear them call each other by first name. You won't hear so much of the rank structure. If they can be in civilian attire, they will be in civilian attire. And so I think it 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 speaks a lot to. Um, when hierarchical structures are, are important and, you know, at a brigade size army thing, when there's thousands of people, it makes a lot of sense that you don't want people doing things you can't anticipate. But in smaller groups, a special forces team has 12 people on it. Uh, you're really relying on each person to be able to lead in their own area of expertise. And, and so it's this very dynamic, amazing team. Um, and I think that, you know, what you described in baseball makes sense too. You've got in clubhouse leadership that's essential. Your pitching coach is essential. Your manager has his role. Your bench coach has his role. Um, your hitting coach, their role. And so everybody's got to lead in their own dynamic um, area or, or subject matter. Um, mental performance coach, strength coach, medical staff too. Um, and, and when you come together, the ultimate state is to perform that day, right? To score more, more runs than the other team. Well, and, and what I appreciate you saying about the special forces and, and the reason I'd ask that is because what you shared echoed a lot of what I read uh, in Culture Code by Daniel Cole when he talked about those high-performing teams and that decentralization. For the listeners, just assuming what's well, always this way or it's always this way, when actually like there's certain instances and in, in areas where each style works, and adapting that based off where we are, if, if we're part of a very small team in a corporate setting, or if we're part of a larger organization, there's a reason certain power structures and, and organizational charts are, are that way. Switching along those lines, baseball season's getting ready to start soon. Hallelujah, it's back. Uh, I, I love the game, but the game is such a long one. And for the casual fan that doesn't quite understand all the games within a game, everything going on from a strategic standpoint, they're thinking, man, 162 games, that's a long season. How do you stay focused? And the beauty for me of baseball is that it, it mirrors a lot of life. It's a long season. It's really focused. What are you going to do today? Are you going to let last week's game interrupt how you do today? It's everybody's goes through a hitless streak. Everybody hit, has a hitting streak. Like we have those highs and lows. And one of the things you're big on is the importance of challenges and how facing challenges outside of those high pressure situations prepare us for them, just like facing challenges and aspects of life for, are actually good for us. What, I guess, drives you to really push on the importance of us voluntarily facing challenges before we inevitably have to? Yeah. Um, well, so I think, you know, we've been talking both military and baseball, yeah. and I would tell you in both um, your preparation is so much of what allows you to step into any situation. And so I, I think oftentimes we imagine um, finding a standard or figuring out what's enough and training or preparing for what's enough. Um, but that's really not the way that, that life works. Uh, it's, you know, it's, uh, if you watch baseball, the game's evolved a lot in the, in the last 10 years. 
pitchers are throwing harder and harder and harder. Um, the spin rates on balls are getting more and more gnarly. Um, combat's no different, right? We, we are facing an ever evolving um, atmosphere throughout the world and, and what combat looks like. And so I think there's a, a point for me of, I think dealing with discomfort or learning um, is its own skill and you can be really good at learning. And so, you know, I started to realize one of the questions that circled a lot with me when I first got into baseball is, do you have to have succeeded at something to have confidence or can confidence build that success, right? Do you have to have a successful moment before you're allowed to feel that sensation? Um, and it, it never sat with me right, in part because working with special ops, the one thing they'll say is, the only promise we'll make to you is you will have to do something downrange or in combat that we've never trained you on before. And so if success has to come before confidence, there's no reason these soldiers should ever get to feel confident. Um, and, and I think for baseball, you know, when you're put in that big situation, you either know that in tough situations, you find ways to work through them. Grind is a big word in, yep. in baseball or grit is a big world, word in the world today. Um, are you confident in your ability to uh, adapt, learn and evolve rapidly? Because I, I think confidence in that is way more powerful than I've had success with this specific thing once before. Let me ask you along those lines with, with the success and confidence, because a, a lot of times listeners have probably had that experience as, as high achievers. The idea and feeling of imposter syndrome coming in, especially when it relates to confidence or lacking confidence of being on that stage of, I don't have the confidence, I don't belong here. Where does kind of that battle fit into that piece of success and confidence that, that you're wrestling with? Well, again, I mean, I think it's what the image of like what right looks like or what confidence is supposed to be. And I think we have a lot of misnomers around that. You know, we think that when we're nervous, it means we're ill-prepared. And that's not true. Um, you know, every great performer feels nerves. There's lots of good studies on that, that if you look at fMRI images or the different sensations or shaking hands or knees or butterflies or, you know, everyone's having them. It's just way more about what you do with them. And so I think that's that piece with, imposter syndrome of when we step into new situations um, and when we have expectations of what we hope we can do, that's going to feel unnatural. The question is, what do you do with that? Or how used, how, how, how much are you used to that sensation? And if you put yourself in learning moments or uncomfortable moments often, then when those sensations come up, you know what it is like to work through them. You have experience again, evolving, learning, growing, adapting. And so you're just going to work through it the same way you, you did with other stuff. You, you, the confidence is in your ability um, to work within those uncomfortable moments, to work with you know, the imposter syndrome or the feeling that you're not there yet. How do you propose life off the field? Let's talk putting yourself in some of those uncomfortable situations. Cause you, you think about baseball, we'll talk on the field for a second. Being in the batter's box, ninth inning, two guys on base, down two runs, like kid, every kid wants that moment. But at the yeah. same time, there's those nerves and being able to control everything. Like you said, prepare for that moment, understanding you control it to be able to perform is crucial. But in life, sometimes we don't know how to prepare for some of those high pressure situations. At least we don't instinctively or directly understand how they correlate. And so what are some ways that maybe offline or out off the field that we can kind of put ourselves in those situations so that when those stakes are raised, we are a little more confident in what we're able to do? 
Yeah, I think um, sometimes there's enough ego involvement or it's important enough that we perform within the desired setting. So, you know, for a pro baseball player, there's a lot of ego and their career right now depends on them performing on a baseball field. Or, you know, if you or I or anyone's going into the office, that performance state has a lot on the line for it. So one of the things we actually had some fun doing um, is actually at one point bringing six minor league players from Cleveland down to North Carolina, down to Fort Bragg. uh, And we taught them land navigation with a map and a compass and a protractor. And so we pulled them out of their normal performance setting into a setting they'd never been in before. And, and in a skill that they don't have to have, I mean, it's a cool one, but they don't have to have it. And, um, so day one, they learned that with some amazing instructors, just map compass protractor, how to shoot an azimuth, what their pace count was. Day two, they went into the woods as a group. And by day three, they were on their own. And the idea behind it was when you're moving from point A to point B and land navigation and life are on a baseball field, um, you're going to employ a set of skills, but there's going to be self-talk that goes within that. There's going to be doubt. There's going to be the feeling that you wonder whether or not you're lost if you actually did this correctly. And you've got lots of choices. You can sit down, you can sit down and cry. You can go back and reestablish that you, you know, where the last point was, you can keep moving forward and hope you're right. Um, And you may get incredibly lost. And then there's all kinds of choices of what you do if you realize you are lost. Um, But at the end of the day, it's about finding your way to point B and learning about yourself as a learner, uh, yourself as a performer, um, and, and how you get yourself to point A to point B. And I think on some level for all of us, that first challenge is an independent, it's a a solo one. It's an independent one. We have to learn how to do it for ourselves. And then you throw people around you and that makes it even more complicated. But um, this was an amazing five days watching these guys in the woods and the same thing that showed up for them on a baseball field showed up for them in the woods. Um, But I think it was easier for them to spot because there was less ego involvement and they really could you know, they could, getting lost wasn't the end of their career. It was, you know, a pretty funny story and, and us tracking them down with a radio and a GPS um, or them fixing it for themselves because they reoriented on a map and found their way out, which was the coolest part. Um, so sometimes I think we all need that moment to go back and be a learner and go back and get challenged in a place that, you know, maybe isn't directly in our career field or going to change the trajectory of our life. Well, and along those lines, I, I'm just curious on your own perspective of the solo piece is, is key. And then obviously adding more people into the mix. A team is a very unique bond, as I would imagine the special forces is a very unique relationship bond. Those of us that aren't in kind of that high performing sense, we still have the opportunity for some unique relationships in the people we intentionally choose to surround ourselves with. Yeah. Would you say that's part of kind of the the healthy environment needed that we need to be intentional with who we surround ourselves with in order to be someone that's more willing to get into that uncomfortable? Because if the people around us aren't wanting to try those things or, you know, sign up for a race that you've never done before in a mud run, whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. we're less likely to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we're tribal in nature um, and they, they say special forces is very tribal. Uh, they have their teams and, and tribes. Um I think we are, we, you know, we tend towards the habits of those people that we're around. And so, um, yeah, I think of being around people that are interested in learning, interested in pushing, interested in having candid conversations. Um, I was listening to one of your podcasts kind of on what do you fuel yourself with um, both mentally and, and nutritionally and all those different components. And I'm a huge um, 
I, I say that, you know, not all confidence is created equal. You can feed yourself junk food confidence, um, which is whatever your Twitter feed looks like or your Facebook <laughs> feed looks like or whatever. Or you can feed yourself some healthy confidence. And just like health food, it takes time to prepare. It's not as exciting to eat, but it'll stick with you. And, and for me, some of that healthy confidence is when's the last time you learned something new? When's the last time you challenged yourself? When's the last time you had a tough and candid conversation? When's the last time you got uncomfortable or felt really nervous? Those are all to me, signs and symptoms of feeding yourself confidence that again is more healthy and it's based off of a willingness and ability to challenge yourself and stepping into those uncomfortable moments. I think it's what makes us actually feel alive. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. It's funny. I actually just filmed earlier this afternoon, one of the episodes on accountability and how like if, if you want to get a good workout routine, have someone meet you at the gym at six in the morning. Yeah. And if you really want to raise the stakes, pay them a hundred, 150 bucks every time you miss forcing someone to join alongside you. Like you just said, like, if you want to be uncomfortable, like if you're scared to do something, if you know, you need to do, get someone to join alongside because we are tribal. And if we can do it with them, then maybe we can grow, continue to grow that confidence to be able to do it on our own as well. Uh, so it's really encouraging you hearing you say that. Cece, where can people learn more about your work as well as do you do any speaking and programs outside of the military with other clients and events? Yeah. Um, so I have a website called the all terrain project, uh, com, And, um, that's both the, the outdoor experience, which obviously with COVID has been a bit rough. Um, but there's a blog on there. It's got videos and different right, uh, written up pieces. So that's, that's one place to kind of, to see what, what I'm up to. Um, and then absolutely. Yeah. I love, love to do speaking, definitely take on clients and different pieces there through the all terrain, uh, project. Uh, and then also on Twitter is edge mentality. So tell, tell us a little bit before we go about the all-terrain project, because I am fascinated when the world returns to somewhat yeah. normal, just about this program in itself. And it gives me an excuse to go to North Carolina, which I love. Yeah. Um, so the concept is basically a week uh, down in North Carolina. We use um, the training grounds right below Fort Bragg. It's actually one of the places they do special forces assessment selection. Um, but it's it's a five-day um five-day adventure, five-day journey. Um, and you, you come down, uh, stay with us. You learn how to do land navigation with a map and a compass and protractor. Um, by day three, you're on your own. And it's, so it's three days of, of land navigation and kind of learning about yourself. And every day we go through a mental performance piece in the morning to kind of prime you uh, and reflection in the evening, uh, but a chance to kind of disconnect a bit and then remember what it's like to learn, remember what it's like to, to fail and get lost and then figure your way out of it absolutely phenomenal instructor staff. Most of them are, and they're all prior military. Most of them are special ops in their background. Um, so the best teachers you could ask for. Um, and, and we just had a lot of fun with it with high performers and are looking forward to bringing that experience to, to people that, that want to get back in touch with what it's like to get learn to learn and, and be challenged um, and maybe need time to disconnect and get a walk in the woods a bit. Yes, absolutely. I love it. I was about to say, after the last 18 months, uh, 12 months of what may be another six months, so we'll say 18, I think most of us are going to need a good disconnect from Zoom and, and just yeah. get back in touch with uh, who we are, or who we're, we need to strive to become. And so uh, definitely recommend everybody check that out. We've linked to it in the show notes. Cece, this has been so much fun. Thank you incredibly for making time this week. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun to talk to you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. 
To listen to past episodes, be sure to check out podcast.competeveryday.com. And to get in touch with the show, email us at podcast at competeveryday.com. Everybody wants to win, but not everybody's willing to compete for that victory. Since you're one who will, show up today and win. We're cheering for you.